This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's been another eventful day news-wise. We'll try try to walk you through some of what's been happening. Uh, and we're going to start with the fishery. A review team tasked to examine the province's fish uh, price-setting process has concluded that the crisis in the crab fishery this year was avoidable, and it is making a number of recommendations to avoid future disruptions. If you recall, the fishery was, uh, the crab fishery was delayed by, what was it, five weeks due to a tie up uh, in a dispute over um, prices that were set by the fish price setting panel that most fish harvesters said was just uneconomical to fish. The review team's report released today is recommending that formula-based pricing be adopted for snow crab before the start of the 2024 season. That means the work needed ahead of next year's fishery needs to start in the fall and early winter. Well, the Association of Seafood Producers called a news conference to respond to the review report. Here's some of what the ASP's executive director, Jeff Loader, had to say. It's obvious that a lot of time and effort went into this report, and there's a lot to chew on by our membership, but from a high-level general perspective, uh, we support the recommendations. They're very consistent with the positions of the Association of Seafood Producers in 2023, and we look forward to uh, having future discussions with the FFAW and with the province to uh, put these recommendations uh, into practice. Uh, there's obviously a lot of work to do. These are just recommendations. Recommendations that are effectively suggesting that where possible we should have uh, formulas that set prices for fish species in Newfoundland and Labrador. That's a position uh, that we've communicated publicly throughout this year. Uh, we've seen this year what happens when you don't have a stable uh, system for setting prices. Uh, it also highlights the need to get to the table and to work through all of the issues that contribute to creating value for fish species. Uh, we are particularly pleased to see the focus on the importance of quality and partnership and working together to create value. Uh, when both parties, or in all parties, not just the, the union and ASP, but both levels of government are working together to create the, the most value that can be created, uh, you're more likely to have a, a, you know, an easy, easier discussion regarding sharing uh, and how a formula should be set up. Uh, membership at large uh, will be reviewing the specifics on individual species over the coming days. We received an embargo copy uh, of the report uh, late last week. Uh, so staff has been going through the specific recommendations and we'll now be reaching out uh, and having some very detailed conversations with our membership. Uh, but just from a you know a high level general perspective, we welcome the recommendations. Uh, we've been saying throughout this year that we need to get to the table and discuss the various elements that are required to be addressed to have a formula. It's not just about you know sharing of the ultimate value that's created in the market. You need to have a system that's focused on collaboration, on focused on creating value, and you need a price system process setting prices 
uh, for setting prices uh, uh, that is followed by all the parties that are subject to those decisions and to those rules. In this particular year, uh, that did not occur, and uh, everybody's aware of, uh, of the implications of that, uh, and they're not a positive thing. So we look forward to getting to the table. Uh, meetings are scheduled next week, uh, both with FFAW and ASP, and ASP look forward to looks forward to continuing conversations with the provincial government and the federal government to make sure that what happened this year does not happen again. Um, and I think there was a real, you know, attempt, uh, and I think the attempt was achieved here to be objective, to be real, to be practical, and to look at all of the factors that need to be addressed so we can avoid the type of situations that played out this year uh, in the future. So that is Executive Director of the Association of Seafood Producers, Jeff Loader's take on the report released today. What about the FFAW? I reached FFAW President Greg Pretty in Copenhagen, Denmark earlier today. Well, Greg Pretty, the uh, 2023 crab fishery is uh, in the history books now. Um, the review panel that was looking at the uh, fish price setting process, uh, yet another review, I suppose, of that process, is out with its report now. What's your response? Well, I, a couple of a couple of issues here. Uh, number one, I've, I asked for that. You'll remember I asked for that review during the tie-up. Yeah, it was very evident to us that the, the situation was flawed. Uh, we weren't getting a good deal. There's a better way to do business. And I think, uh, in fact, I know the, the panel in their review picked up on those salient points and they have a way forward. That is, of course, the, uh, the price to market formula. And, you know, do we ever need one uh, in this province? They also came up with, Linda, uh, that's the point I, w I was saying. I call for a crab marketing board. Uh, they're not calling it a crab marketing board, but we need something here to, to expand our horizons on, on crab and to ensure that we maximize, to the, to the best of our ability, um, the value of that resource in other markets and perhaps even secondary processing. So, so from that perspective, uh, it's a good report. It's a great po post-mortem of the, the current season, but it also importantly points out how we got there. You know, the crash of that crab market in, in 2023 actually occurred in the, the, uh, the preconditions for that crash occurred in uh, 2021. So it's, it's, it's a good report and uh, it shares the risk as we call for many times. And I'm looking forward to, to getting to work and, and ensuring that uh, this is done and is done properly. And the thing is uh, implemented as for the province's wishes. So its number one recommendation is that the formula-based pricing be adopted for all species and that that process begin, well, now, yesterday, if you will. Are you prepared for all of that? Of course. You'll remember that we had a, a formula in place uh, this year. We negotiated the formula uh, on on the current prices. The uh, the end, uh, the season ended up at a two sixty price based on the formula. So you know both parties have worn the saddle here. Uh, so I'm re we're ready to rock and roll. We're ready to get at this and get this thing going, with a mind to having the formula in place relatively shortly, uh, perhaps uh, as early as the, late December, early January. 
and then getting down to the, the brass tacks here of, of uh, ensuring that we have an orderly start to the fishery. But most importantly, you know, the shared risk I talked about, uh, the, the, the review committee has uh, identified that. And, uh, you know, we were prepared last year to share the risk. We're prepared this year to share the risk. In other words, the market goes up, we share in that market. And if it goes down, we roll with the punches. And that's that's all I can ask for here. But no longer, and this report vindicates us, no longer can we have a total download of everything that's wrong in the marketplace onto harvesters. That's over. That That's all I can tell you now. That's done. And uh, this is a better way forward. And I trust all parties will work towards the betterment of, of this industry and our members. The review team is also recommending, and I mean, we've seen great market volatility in almost every sector since uh, the pandemic, but it's uh, recommending that no reconsiderations be uh, permitted during the season where there is a price-setting formula in place for a species unless one of the parties is able to demonstrate explicitly that the economic risk in the industry is uh, so challenged that they have to have another look at it. So, uh, you know, how do you feel about the, the the uh, review team, um, you know, acknowledging that? Well, I think that would be a normal course of events uh, on that. And I think what they're, and I haven't discussed this with anybody, but I think what they're getting at there, if, for example, if, if the market changed so critically, either up or down, that it was detrimental to the to the industry, then you know, the parties would stop and, and consult uh, and make moves, uh, something they, ha- they haven't done or we haven't done over the last number of years. So there'd have to be a drastic uh, crash in the marketplace or an incredible rise uh, in the market or changes in the market that would, that would indicate that uh, the process that, that was currently being paid is no longer valid. I think that's what they're trying to get at without putting words in the mouth, but that's something we can discuss. I understand the concept but we'll discuss the details. The review team also um, made reference to uh, sharing the market return that very, uh, and and acknowledged there is much debate uh, within the industry about sharing uh, the return from the market um, and and addressed some of the the issues there, including um, using the reference apples and oranges when talking about raw product versus uh, sections, let's say, for instance. Uh, What's your response to all of that? Yeah, I, I, it's it's a point. I understand the point uh, that the panel makes uh, on that, and I also, most importantly, I also understand the point, which I think is linked to it, that if we're going to sit down, uh, and and uh, whether it's negotiate or affix a price to a to a formula, then all parties have to have the same information, have the same knowledge the same market info, that hasn't been happening. That's one of the big problems with the current system. That hasn't been happening. The panel identified that along with their apples and oranges, and and they know, as I said many times, unless we have the same information as asked as we sit down to negotiate or formulate, then we're at a disadvantage before it even starts. So most importantly, they've identified that, 
And uh, I think uh, now that they've shone a light on that, I, I think we can uh, we can move forward on that sharing of information, which many cases leads us to the apples and oranges examples. There was a there was a lot of optimism heading into the the, the crab season that just passed, and then we saw what happened. Um, can uh, the FFAW now work with the Association of Seafood Producers towards, uh, you know, this goal of making sure that uh, you know we have a fair price and that uh, everybody gets what they're looking for? Um, you know, in other words, is there any bad blood there? Are you willing to sit down and talk these things over? Uh, of course, and uh, we're ready to rock and roll. We had the team. We had the team to get at this uh, relatively quickly. Uh, as, as I said earlier, we we have a uh, rudimentary formula there now. We need to expand on that. Uh, both parties had the skills to do this, and all we need is the, the willingness on both parties to get at this uh, as quickly as possible. We'll be there to do that. No question about that. It's so important to, to the future of this industry that we have now, for the first time, in a long time, a report that that had, had puts us on a good path for sharing that resource, for sharing the benefits of that resource for our harvesters, communities, and province. So it's it's good. Greg Pretty, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome, and all the best. Cheers. And that's uh, Greg Pretty. I spoke with him earlier today from Copenhagen, Denmark. Well, when we come back after the break, we're going to get a little update. We're in the midst of a uh, 24-hour, one-night stand against cancer radiothon for Daffodil Place. We'll check in with VOCM's Claudette Barnes with a little update there. Uh, When we come back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we are back, and we are in the midst of a 24-hour one-night stand against Cancer Radiothon for Daffodil Place. Claudette Barnes, what's happening? Oh, a lot is happening. Um, So it is a 24-hour radiothon, as you had mentioned here on VOCM, and I I love the play on words uh, because Alan Hocko is uh, the honorary chair, and so it's a little tongue-in-cheek one-night stand with Alan Hocko against cancer. (laughs) So we're hoping that uh, people are going to be able to call in with their donation if you can uh, perhaps get donations together and uh, pick up the tab for a night at Daffodil Place uh, so a night at Daffodil Place costs $100 um, so that includes the accommodation, the meals, transportation and support services now I'd like to break down that amount for you it's actually subsidized so the person who's living with cancer who needs to stay there because they're living away from you know, St. John's that will cost them $30, and then for a, a person after that would be $20 thereafter. So you're looking at for a couple to pay $50 because it's subsidized um, to stay at Davidoe Place. And I've just been getting cold shivers all day ever since I've been learning about the Radiothon too because there's so many amazing stories that are coming out of it. We just don't have enough time to get into all of them. But basically we need uh, your support to help alleviate the financial burden of a cancer diagnosis. People have heard of the word cancer poverty or cancer poor uh, because you get a diagnosis it's more than that. If you're living outside of St. John's um, you have to come on in for treatment. You need to drive that 
that costs money. If you're doing radiation, that's a daily thing. So you can imagine that eventually, not only being tired from driving, but also the cost, then it's the roof over your head and the meals, and it just goes on and on and on. And that's why Daffodil Place is so integral to being part of the cancer healing for the person uh, who is living with cancer uh, for during their diagnosis and during their stay while they're getting their uh, treatment. So we are looking for everyone's support today right now to give us a call and to donate what you can. So online it's www.cancer.ca forward slash one night stand NL and you can also give us a call at 1-844-229-0146 and I was just uh, speaking with VOCM's Greg Smith who has been down at uh, Daffodil Place uh, for a large part of the day and he was saying that the phone bank volunteers are now competing to see who gets the biggest donation called in. So that's a lot of fun. So if you are a, a business or an individual who can help out, uh, please do. Your support is needed. And we're doing this Radiothon until 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Linda? Well, thanks so much, Claudette. And uh, yeah, it's such a, a worthwhile cause uh, that affects so many people here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, uh, we ask people to do what they can um, to help out with the cause. Well, it was, uh, and it still is, still ongoing, uh, an emotional final sitting of the House of Assembly today. The fall sitting wrapped up this afternoon, um, and it's the last sitting of the House of Assembly for the long time. MHA for Conception Bay East Bell Island. You'll recall that David Brazel announced last week, quite emotionally actually, that he will be stepping down at the end of this year um, because of um, his uh, ongoing health issues. Uh, he suffered a massive heart attack last year. Uh, the worst kind you can suffer, the, the so-called widowmaker, and uh, only for the fact that um, one of his employees had knocked on his door and, and aroused him uh, about a different type of matter. Um, he might have died in his sleep. Uh, just an extraordinary story. And David Brazel, like uh, most people who are elected to the House of Assembly, you know, say what you like. Uh, they go there with the best of intentions and they, they do work hard for their constituents. So here's some of what David Brazel had to say in the House of Assembly this afternoon. And uh, this may be a bit harder than I would have first thought because people sometimes think David Brazel is a bit of a tough guy. If you talk to any of the people I've coached over the years, uh, emotion isn't one thing that I show a lot of. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes it's not the good side of emotion that I show when you're coaching some people at certain times. But people always knew that my heart was here for them as part of that, as I know it is here in this House of Assembly today. So I'm going to start with the hardest part of uh, what I'm going to speak about today. Normally it's done at the end, the thank yous and that. Uh, but I want to get that out of the way because first and foremost it's the most important thing that I need to, to uh, share with people in this province. Uh, the people who've been there for me, the people who supported me, and first and foremost are my family. Uh, to my wife and my daughters Jillian and Kelsey, a sincere thank you for the love, the support, always been there to support whatever I needed to do, an understanding on days when I'd come home frustrated, uh, days when I'd shake my head, or mornings at 4 o'clock when I'd have to go to the Bell Island Ferry to figure out why the boat wasn't running, and knowing that was there, or events that I couldn't get to that were important to the family. I deliberately, during my career, tried to keep my family away from the, the spotlight, because 
people had voted for me, I would take the good, the bad, the indifference, and that would be on me. But you can't exclude your family from what, what happens. And people know that on all sides of the House here at the end of the day. Uh, they're your main crooks. They're the pillar of your strength. They're the motivator that makes you go. It makes it easier then to support your constituents. It makes it easier to be able to support the people of this province. It makes it easier to come to the House of Assembly every day and know that you're fighting for the rights of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. And you're hoping you'll do your small part to ensure people have a better life and that people have hope in this province. And I'm convinced we all have done that. I do also want to acknowledge uh, an extended member of our family, Ms. Mary Ann Dillon, who's been my uh, right hand from the day I got elected. Uh, and I know, I said it in a function a couple of weeks ago, um, she had some health issues for a period of time, and I, I said to her, I said, you don't know. You could end my career right now, because if you don't get healthy, I'm done. <laughs> I said, there's only so much that I can take uh, phone calls from my constituents. that She knew how to handle every one of them and did it with so much professionalism and diligence. So an honest, heartfelt thank you. So that's some of what David Brazel had to say in the legislature today uh, in his final sitting of the House of Assembly. He's staying on, of course, until the end of the month, uh, in, not the end of the month, the end of the year. Uh, and he, uh, he went on for more than 20 minutes, so that's just a taste of what he had to say. Opposition leader Tony Wakeham uh, became um, extremely emotional. In fact, he broke down in tears uh, while wishing Brazel well. You'll hear more of that audio coming up now in news and as well tomorrow morning on the VOC morning show so stay tuned for that when we come back uh, government is creating 160 new child care spaces across the province uh, we'll hear more about that coming up right after this every saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin the cabin party with brian o'connell saturday night starting at 7 p.m on vocm and we are back. Well, the health minister says he has requested answers from Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services after a pregnant woman was recently forced to sleep on the floor at the ER at Carboneer General Hospital. Tom Osborne says the situation is not acceptable. He was responding to questions from opposition leader, uh, opposition house leader, sorry, Barry Petten in the legislature today. Speaker, a pregnant woman forced to sleep on the floor of an emergency room in, is a reality we should not have to face in our health care system. Yet that's where we are on this Liberal government's watch. I ask the Minister, how can this be allowed to happen? The Honourable the Minister of Health and Community Services. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. That is obviously very unfortunate. I wouldn't say there's a member in this legislature or in the province that would say that it's acceptable. Mr. Speaker, I have asked the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Health Services what had happened there and to review it to ensure that there are policies and procedures put in place to ensure that this type of thing doesn't happen again. Uh, there are times, Mr. Speaker, when emergency departments are overcrowded. We are working on recruitment and retention. We are working on additional infrastructure. We are working on urgent care uh, models, Mr. Speaker, to reduce the pressure on emergency departments but this is a very unfortunate situation that happened, Mr. Speaker. No, it is not acceptable. Meanwhile, there were continued questions about staffing and the pressures on the Carboneer General Hospital, this time from the MHA for Harbour, Maine, Helen Conway Ottenheimer, about a constituent suffering chest pain who was transferred to the Buren Peninsula for treatment. The problem was a lack of internal medicine doctors available in Carboneer. 
to care for the patient, and it still exists. I asked the Premier, is a 300-kilometer diversion for emergency care acceptable under his Liberal government? The Honourable Minister of Health and Community Services. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. No, it's not acceptable, but we continue to recruit the medical professionals that are needed in this province to ensure that these types of situations do not continue. So a uh, little um, health care discussion there in the House of Assembly this afternoon. Uh, this being the last session of the House of Assembly for the fall sitting. Uh, they won't resume now until sometime in the spring. And between then and now, we'll have a uh, by-election triggered in um, uh, Conception Bay East, Bell Island. And uh, who knows? We might have a whole uh, election call. I don't know. Um, I don't have any special. In, um, information or anything beyond that, but it, uh, I know that speculation has been rife over the last little while. It remains to be seen. We'll be watching that very closely. Well, government is creating 160 new childcare spaces across the province with a specific focus on care for the children of healthcare workers, and that was identified as one of the impediments uh, to the recruitment of nurses, in particular, into the healthcare system. But other health uh, professionals as well, uh, people in healthcare requiring that little bit of flexibility and allowing um, the fact that uh, they need um, special hours for uh, their children in healthcare, in uh, childcare and the like. Premier Andrew Fury and Education Minister Crystalyn Howell made the announcement earlier today at the Janeway Hospital. Here's what was said. I'm very happy to be in a hospital, unlike most, uh, and it feels more like home to me than the House of Assembly does, I can assure you. Uh, as many as you probably know, my wife Allison works here at the Janeway Emergency Department, and as two practicing medical doctors with young children, we are very familiar with the challenges healthcare professionals can face when it comes to finding suitable childcare. And as Premier, I have heard those concerns loud and clear. I was, it was one of the big things coming out of the nurses' think tank that we held together back in 2022. So today, I'm very pleased to announce a key initiative to support our province's health care sector and increase access to early learning and child care in Newfoundland and Labrador. Recruitment and retention is a challenge in health care. There's no question about it, not just in here in our province, but across the country. And we know there are parents and caregivers that are seeking child care solutions that work for them in the often unique environment of providing health care. We need to implement innovative solutions to collaborate meaningfully and to think outside the box to prompt positive changes across the system and to provide better care for our patients. Today's announcement is a testament to what is possible through collaboration with valued partners and, the leverage, and leveraging the opportunities that that collaboration creates. Thanks to the hard work and laser focus of our team, particularly Ministers Howell and Osborne, along with our incredible partners from the federal government, our government will be creating affordable childcare spaces for healthcare professionals working in Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. One hundred and sixty spaces will be created at three sites here in St. John's, Bonavista, and Corner Brook. They will be operated by the YMCA and they will be 
$10 a day spaces. The three sites are currently under development to provide targeted and prioritized childcare for our healthcare professionals and will take approximately six months to fully develop. The sites in St. John's and Cornerbrook will offer childcare spaces solely to healthcare professionals working within Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services. The site in Bonavista will prioritize childcare for healthcare professionals within the Newfoundland and Labrador Health Services fold. But of course, this is just the beginning. 160 spaces is a strong start to remedying an issue that has been hindering our healthcare system forever, really. Healthcare professionals and the well-being of the children and their families. We're also exploring other locations for potential sites in, additional, in addition to rural sites and remote communities throughout the province with similar prioritization for healthcare professionals and their families. We hope to announce more of these sites in the not too distant future. We have heard time and time again that healthcare professionals working 12 hour, hour shifts often face additional challenges related to the burden of childcare. These sites will consider daytime hours of operation to ensure that childcare services meet the demands and needs of healthcare professionals who work either early mornings or past the traditional 5 or 6 p.m. working hours. I can tell you firsthand, having seen the scheduling that occurs, nurses in the OR having to leave, having to fill in, having to stay extra, having to phone, having to not break scrub, to have somebody phone to ensure that their child is looked after, this will make a difference. So that's a little uh, sum of uh, what Premier Andrew Fury announced this afternoon. And uh, I know um, child care has been a, a topic of much discussion over the last number of years. And it's not just people in uh, health care, of course, that are facing these difficulties, although they are primarily uh, faced with those kinds of difficulties because of the kind of shifts that they do and the um, incredibly important work that they are doing. But uh, I know myself, I encountered a lot of trouble with child care when my my son was of a certain age because my shift was till five o'clock and uh, a lot of times I'm on the air till five or maybe 5:30. and um, a lot of the child care uh, places that I had him in at the time uh, they were shutting down at you know quarter to five or five o'clock so I would have to scrabble most days to try and get them or get them home or not be incurred with extra expenses and the like. So um, I'm sure these kinds of measures will come as a welcome relief to a lot of parents. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think of, well, you know, some people will say, well, why don't you get so-and-so and your family to do it? That's not their job. Their job is to be a loving family member to support you. Yes, but not to take on, not to call it a burden, but like, I know you probably probably don't want to have to go to your family all the time that you need to be in that predicament where you need uh, care for your child. And sometimes your family doesn't live in the same That's city right. or yeah. whatever the case may be or are too 
focused on their own thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know. Like, some people, I just heard that argument before, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, so-and-so has a big family. It shouldn't be a problem. But, you know, you know, everybody has the right to uh, child care, and, and, and it's not cookie-cutter. Like you said, everybody works different hours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when we come back, uh, I understand you're going to give us another little update on what's happening at Daffodil Place. We look forward to that when we come back right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. And if you've been listening to VOCM over the course of the last uh, 12 hours or so, uh, we've been talking about the One Night Stand Against Cancer Radiothon at Daffodil Place. It's a 24-hour affair. And uh, Claudette, you have another update for us. Yeah. So it is, for those people who may not be familiar with it, it's uh, VOCM and the Canadian Cancer Society together. We're hosting that 24-hour radiothon to raise money for Daffodil Place. Uh, it started at 7 a.m. It's going to continue uh, to, to go until 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. And there's just so much to tell you uh, about. So what we're looking for are for individuals or businesses to come together, to group together and pick up the tab for a one-night stay at Daffodil Place, uh, which includes accommodations, meals, transportations, and so many support services. And if you've been listening to VOCM today, you would have heard from former residents residents, current residents, uh, business owners, everybody who believes in the cause because they have personal connections to them. I spoke to several uh, residents myself, and one of the things that they keep saying about Daffodil Place, um, it's not the actual structure, it's the people in it. And they don't call them staff or volunteers, they call them angels (laughs) because the emotional support that they get from staying at a place like Daffodil Place um, is just second to none. And not only that, the relationships forged uh, between not only the cancer patient, but their support people. So let me give you an, an, an example. So say you are, uh, there's somebody staying as a resident that ha- is living with cancer and going to the hospital for treatment. Well, they also come with their spouse and their spouse will get support from other spouses who are staying uh, at Daffodil Place. And they, I remember speaking to one couple, they stayed connected with other residents because they were at different stages of the journey and they could learn from uh, one another. So the community extends well past the walls of Daffodil Place. Bottom line, people who live in rural Newfoundland who can't come into St. John's by a car every single day to get treatment, that is where Daffodil Place comes in. It's five minutes away from the hospital and they concentrate on healing as opposed to concentrating on making meals or doing laundry or anything like that. They all get the support they need from Daffodil Place. So that's where you come in. We are looking for you to pick up the tab for a one-night stay. So our numbers, 1-844-229-0146. And you can also uh, give us a call or a donation, I should say, online at www.cancer.ca forward slash one-night-stand-NL. And I'm glad Linda said an update because I forgot to mention something. And that is that for every $100 you donate, 
donate to One Night Stand Against Cancer Radiothon, you'll get uh, one entry for a chance to win a sweet rental for a regular season uh, Newfoundland Growlers game. So uh, the more you donate, the more chances you have to win. We are going to be all night at this. Myself and Greg are going to be into the uh, uh, evening with this, and then we're going to continue with our various hosts throughout the night, wee hours of the morning, to make sure that uh, we can raise uh, money for this cause. So it's One Night Stand Against Cancer Radiothon. That number again, one eight four four. I was trying to yeah, jot it down. Yeah, I realized I, I said it quite fast. So one eight four four two two nine zero one four six. I had it all backwards there. <laughs> zero one four six. six. Well, yep. that's great. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Claudette. Uh, really appreciate that. And um, yeah, show your support by uh, and get your name in on the draw for a, uh, a sweet rental. Uh, yeah, at the Growlers, Growlers game. Yeah, sounds like a great prize. Well, um, the stock assessment for South Coast Cod is in and the outlook in that region off the province's South Coast still quite grim. The stock has been in the critical zone for over 20 years and remains so. DFO says recruitment has been well below average since the early 1990s and it does not expect improved numbers of young fish entering the population in the near future. Natural mortality has been at a relatively high level for the past 15 years. That includes predation with a slight improvement over the past two years. Fishing levels are low but even minimal activity is slowing stock growth. The stock lead for DFO in 3PS, Laura Welland, says water temperatures in 3PS were at record highs in 2021 and 2022. Our assessment this year was also informed by comparative fishing. This is a program that's been ongoing in the Newfoundland and Labrador region since 2021 as we transition to the department's new offshore fishery science vessels. This is a key program to measure differences in how these new vessels fish compared to our previous research vessels. And we do this by fishing the two vessels side by side at the same time. This program has allowed us to use data collected by the new vessels starting in 2022 and going forward as a continuation of our previous time series for Atlantic Cod. In 2023, however, we did not complete the multi-species survey in 3PS. The assessment model is able to somewhat fill this gap using all of the available information through to 2022 from both the fishery and scientific studies to project our population forward and give us our current understanding of stock size and status. While this gap does increase our current uncertainty and our current estimate of the stock size, we are confident in our assessment of this stock and that the stock remains in the critical zone of the precautionary approach framework. COD in 3PS has been in the critical zone since 2000 and is currently at 55% of the limit reference point. On the right side, you'll see a plot which is spawning stock biomass. This is one of our measures of stock size, and it's the amount of mature fish within the population. The dashed horizontal line shows the limit reference point, the level below which the stock is considered to be uh, subject to serious harm. And you can see that our estimates of stock size have been well below that and are currently uh, quite below the limit reference point. Our projections do indicate that the stock will remain in this critical zone for the near future. 
In 3PS, COD productivity is also considered to be low. Recruitment, our numbers of young fish entering the population in any given year, has been well below average since the early 1990s. Based on the currently low stock size and biological factors such as small fish size, early maturation, we don't expect that the numbers of young fish entering the population will increase significantly in the near future. So in the near term, we do expect that recruitment will remain low. Natural mortality, which is a measure of all mortality within the stock, not from fishing. So this could be from predation, starvation, or disease, has been at a relatively high level since 2008. We have seen a small improvement in this mortality over the last couple of years, given improved fish condition or fish health in 3PS over the last couple of years, but it does remain relatively high. Fishing mortality, our removals from all fishing sources in 3PS, for cod is currently low. However, we do know that these low levels of removals are still slowing stock growth. Cod and 3PS are living in an ecosystem that is changing. Ocean warming continues in 3PS, and water temperatures were at record high at both surface and at the bottom of the ocean in 2021 and in 2022, and all indications are that 2023 will continue to be high. This is leading to changes within the ecosystem that we are working to better understand. Atlantic cod was historically the dominant predatory fish within the 3PS ecosystem. But in recent years, coinciding with increases in warm water species, this dominance has declined and we are seeing increases in species such as silver hake. Based on all available information presented at the assessment, we continue to be concerned about the status of Atlantic cod in subdivision 3PS. Given the small population size and low productivity of the fish within the stock, continued fishery removals will delay recovery of cod in 3PS. It is advised that removals from all sources be kept at the lowest possible level until the stock is able to clear the critical zone. The department is working on a rebuilding plan for this stock, and this has been in development in consultation with stakeholders and in partnership with fisheries management at DFO. Our colleagues from resource management will seek stakeholder perspectives on a management decision for 3PS COD for the upcoming season through the Ground Fish Advisory Committee. COD and 3PS is jointly managed with France in respect of St. Pierre. So following the consultation process, representatives from Canada and France will meet to decide on a management approach for this stock for the upcoming season. We do continue to research the dynamics of COD and 3PS, especially in the context of the changing ecosystem. So there you go. A big part of that, of course, being uh, the changing ecosystem, as Laura Welland put it, in 3PS, warmer waters, uh, higher predation, um, and less uh, recruitment into the stocks, meaning that uh, fewer um, fish are being born and uh, sticking around, I guess. Uh, so not looking very good at all for the um, 
cod stocks in area 3PS, which is off the south coast of the island. That is despite the fact that um, general assessments for northern cod are uh, looking a bit better, and we will uh, wait to see what goes on there as well. Anyway, that's it for us for today. I do thank you all for uh, joining us this afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon. Do join us then. You'll get all the news now tomorrow morning on VOCM, uh, your VOCM mornings um, with Ben Murphy and Jerry Lynn Mackey, and uh, lots more besides throughout the course of the day. Uh, News time is next with Noah Shepard. This is News Talk. Thanks for listening.